Hello, my brothers and sisters in smoke. Pastor Barnaby Rothschild here. And my job today, because those boys are lazy, is to ease you into another Pulpit Rewind episode. Now, today's episode is brought to you by the fine folks over there at Jerry Tobacco Aladino. And they sponsor the studio, even though this episode was recorded earlier. Hence the reason we're naming off these sponsors now. And uh, also, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that The Cut is brought to you by Riverman Cigar Company of Crestwood, Missouri. You can get all those great Aladino cigars over there at Riverman Cigar Company. Have those fine, fine Corojo smokes. It's a good time with the Jerry Tobacco sitting there in the lounge at Riverman. And, of course... We would also be remiss if we didn't mention our good friend Nick Gervais over there at MyMonthlyCigars.com. You can get some of that fucking good coffee over there at his website as well. Makes for a nice pairing after a uh, busy Sunday morning of preaching. You can sit back and open up Nick's box and have a nice cigar and cup of joe. It's a good time. Anyway, I don't know what episode Nick selected for y'all today, so... Try and sit back and enjoy. I, I, I don't know. These old ones really don't do anything for me, but whatever. So sit back, light up your cigar, say a little prayer to the gods of tobacco, and enjoy another Pulpit Rewind. Amen. Oh, Hang on. I'm going to quit eating my chocolate milk. Yeah, drink. Off-putting. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another sermon from the Cigar Pulpit. I'm the Bishop of the Burn, Nick, and with me, as always, Gator. And today, we are going over the second half of our trip to the Weston Tobacco Festival. Such a good time. It was indeed a good time. So, this is part two. Um, the way we left at part one is the party was getting really ramped up in there and very, very loud and pretty much cut off all ability for us to record. We finally gave up. Yeah, it was a losing battle. We tried throughout most of the day. and Still with the interview and everything, eked out over 40 minutes of we got know, quite podcast. A, we got quite a bit recorded. You know, we got some uh, interviews and whatnot taken care of, but we uh, we did end up... Uh, having to give up. We accomplished a lot, though, that day. Once they started the Nebraska game in the exact room we were in, that and and all the cheering and everything, that was when it pe- pretty much became We had the, the room somewhat no to return. ourselves until the game came until on. Until the game came on. Well, the Zycar guy was back there making deals. He was. He was back there with, his, right, with his catalog, yep. like making deals with folks and stuff. But, yeah, once the Nebraska game started, that was pretty much the end of our privacy. Yes. So... But we had a good time. We did indeed. And the party continued. The party continued, which we'll get to that in a moment. But Amen. first, we'll go ahead and talk about the cigars that we are smoking. So in this episode, we are going to feature a interview that we had with Manuel Casada. He uh, is a well-known figure in the cigar industry. Uh, his family has roots going back to the 1860s in the cigar industry. He himself started his factory in uh, 45 years ago and has been going strong since. And so what Jeff and I have decided is that rather than smoke the same cigar from Casada Cigars, we're smoking different 
cigars so that we can kind of touch on some of the various angles Compare of, and contrast. of his brand. So I am so tonight I am smoking a Casada 40th anniversary. It is a Mexican San Andreas Maduro wrapper with a Dominican Republic binder and Dominican Republic and Nicaraguan filler. I have the Anniversary Toro Real, which is a 6x65. I, on the other hand, decided to go with a short Robusto. I've got a little 4x50 here, and this is actually one of the uh, 1974 series. It is draped. I'm getting all this information, by the way, from Cigar Aficionado. Just want to give them a shout-out. Look at that. All right. Uh, It is draped in an Ecuadorian wrapper. Draped. That's what it says. Draped. Draped. In an Ecuadorian wrapper with a Dominican binder, and the filler is a mix of Dominican and Nicaraguan tobaccos. According to the Casada Cigars, all of the Dominican tobaccos are grown by their own family, and the smoke is said to be medium to full-bodied. The really cool thing about this cigar, Nick, that you may not know, and I actually didn't know this till I got it, so I really I picked, I chose wisely. Um, this was actually just introduced at the IPCPR trade show in Vegas back in, what, June, July. So this cigar has only been on the market in the U.S. for about three months. So, Nick, one really neat feature of this cigar is that it, again, called the 1974, and it was recently released in Spain to celebrate the company's 45th year in business. It's actually the uh, year they started uh, making cigars in the Dominican Republic. Well, there you go. And so I'm really excited about this cigar. And we're going to hear about that, the opening of the factory and everything, when we get to the interview with Manuel Casada. I am looking forward. Can, can, can I make just a little observation? What's that? He's the nicest guy. Oh, he really was. He really was. He is the nicest guy. And I'll tell you, he's got a voice that's like butter. Butter. Like butter. butter. Total butter. He had really no use for me, though. I could tell. Uh, he seemed like me. We got along just fine. Well, yeah, but I'm, you know, we got, he I'm the I, comic he relief. He and I got along fine. Yeah, I mean, he didn't seem to have much. <laughs> he didn't use. like my whale joke. He did not like the. We'll get to that in a minute, folks. We're going to look forward. We're going to tell you about the evening after we do the the interview. But first, we are going to cut the cigars. And of course, Jeff does not have his cutter. No. So he does. Not get to put a cigar tonight. And I don't have a working lighter either. <laughs> I don't even have a working lighter. You don't lighter. even have a working lighter? I have three lighters here. None of one of them is working. What, I have matches. What did you do to your lighter? Well, the giant Bic, you know, the look at the size Bic. of my Bic. Yeah, look at the size of your Bic. Yeah, the giant Bic broke. And then, broke? Yeah, it's broke. Try to light it. Who knew a $3 lighter from a gas station would be janky? Yeah, that's Yeah, janky. that's broke. So... <clears throat> Although I got, you know, a good six months of use out of it. And then I've got this one that will spark, but there's no butane. And you know what? Look what they did. It is non-refillable on purpose. Oh, those savages. I know, right? I went to fill it with butane, and you can't. Yep. And then I have this. Which, bar- what would you call this? It's a barbecue lighter. Yeah. Which is out of fuel as yes. well. So I am just in every direction. Just screwed. But I like how he's got multiple different lighter types, none of which are designed for cigars. <laughs> but I have Strike Anywhere matches, and my God, I have Strike. He's lit it up. So I have my torch, because I'm prepared. It's just what I do. I'm going old school. 
I will tell you, I felt a little bad. Oh, check that all up. As we're standing there talking to uh, Mr. Casada. Did I say that correctly? That? Yes, Casada. Because I don't believe I've ever had one of his cigars before. Really? Have you? Um, yes. You have not. <laughs> Actually, but, in all fairness, you and I did receive some of his cigars in our pack from the Kansas City Cigar Fest. Yes, but we still have those. We've been saving those to review. We have not smoked them yet. Yes. No. No. Um, no, in the spirit of full transparency, I went into an interview with Manuel Casada without having smoked one of his cigars. Now, I did purchase a couple of them. As did I. Uh, prior to the interview with the intention of having smoked one. But then you and I, you know, recorded the episode that was the part one of the Kansas City, or I'm sorry, uh, Weston Tobacco Fest. So where we smoked the, the house cigars. I so. say that to say this. I'm going to seek these out now. Mm-hmm. This is a fabulous cigar. This may be one of the best cigars I've ever smoked. Really? Yes. That little This is a medium there. medium strength, medium to bold. Would normally be out of my wheelhouse. This is the perfect cigar. There you go. Yep. This yeah. is a fabulous, fabulous cigar. Hmm. I am having my second Casada cigar. I had one um, the other day uh, prior to us leaving... Um, Leavenworth, right? Leavenworth. That's right. We stayed in Leavenworth. We stayed in Leavenworth. They didn't keep us either. They did not. So prior to us leaving our hotel, you and I sat outside, enjoyed the early afternoon sun and the baking. And um, I enjoyed a a Casa Magna Gran Toro before we hit the road. That was a delightful, I use the word this time, delightful little cigar. It had a good flavor. It had some spice to it, and it definitely got a little spicier near the end of the cigar, I think. This one, so far, it is a Maduro, so it's a little heavier, but it also has a fantastic flavor. Smokes really well. Easy draw. Relatively clean burn line. I've got just like a little little thing, but, you know. Um, Mine's pretty clean. That'll, that'll correct itself, I'm sure. So This may be my new favorite cigar. That early into it, you're you're declaring it a winner already. Huh? I'm in the first third. Now, granted, it's a short robusto, so and see, I tend to like the short robusto cigars a little more because you get right to the flavor with the robustos. It's none of that like waiting it out. Yeah, I mean, and I'm he- there. He- it's robust, hence the robusto. Robusto, yes. No, so when you want to just plow ahead and just get the flavor right off the bat, you know, robustos, and that's exactly to, what I'm doing here. Go. Yeah, this is this is uh, definitely in the top five, if not right up at the top. Well, I'll get go. into it. I'll get at least halfway through it before I declare. How about that? I think that's fair. Okay. I think that's fair. I'm telling you right I now. I mean, you know, the fine folks at Quorum are going to be really upset if you're unseating them <laughs> in the first third of a cigar. I tend to smoke a little <laughs> cheap. <laughs> I admit it. But I will tell you... Um, for the flavor, the price, and the stick here, I don't think this can be beat. There you go. How much well, that was says that a lot. You know, I honestly, I don't remember the price point. It was probably somewhere in the 8 to $10 range. For a little guy? But it's good. Okay. Yeah. It's a good cigar. I'm cheap. You're not cheap. You, of the two of us, I am the one that smokes cheap. I will smoke Swishers and Quorums, and I'll smoke Factory Rejects. Valid point. Yeah. But... When I want a good cigar, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'll, I'll, I'll do a Perdomo. I'll do a My Father. Um, 
you know, I'll do some of the, uh, you know, the Oscars. I love the leaf. But this cigar is rapidly becoming one of my new favorites in the last 10 minutes here. This is good. Interesting. It's got a great flavor. Like you said, it's a it's a little more a little more of a medium cigar. I usually tend to go a little bit mild, medium to bold, but this I got no complaints about this stick at all. And I'm not just saying that because we got to know. I hope it's okay to call him Manuel. I mean, Mister Mister Casada. He told me to call him Manuel. He did. He did not tell me. To call him. <laughs> he did not tell you to call him Manuel. But again, the nicest guy. I mean, he was completely opposite of what I expected when we met him. And he could really? not have been nicer. Yes. I, you know, I'm not going to lie. You, th- these guys are running these major corporations. And quite frankly, I kind of expect them. Uh, how do I say this without sounding horrible? I, I kind of expect them to maybe be a little more standoffish, maybe not as friendly. And I'm telling you right now, Nick, that is not something I'm running into in the cigar industry. No, not in the least. The, you know, and, so far and anyway. Again, with, uh, you know, Mr. Casada with Oscar, um, you know, with the different people we've talked to. You had the experience with Nick Perdomo. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys could not be more accommodating to what we're doing. Yeah. And, you know, and quite frankly, I, I'm not going to say we're friends. We're not going to be hanging out on the weekends or anything. But I, I think we, you know, established a fairly friendly relationship. I was like, we're friendly. Friendly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, well, on its way to being friends. So... All right. I think this is a good time to go ahead and slide into the interview with Manuel Casada. And after we, you know, catch catch up on that, then you and I can come back and kind of discuss what took place at the close of the Weston Tobacco Fest. We weaseled our way into something. We definitely found our way. We tripped and Bumbled our way into a really awesome evening. We, we bumbled our way. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. We definitely bumbled our way into a good night. So with that, here is Manuel Casada. So I am joined by Manuel Casada. Very nice to meet you, sir. My pleasure as well. So, Th- and thank you for having me. Well, no, thank you for taking time out. We're, we're at the Weston Tobacco Festival. You're up here as a guest. And um, you're taking time away from everything to come and talk to us, and we really appreciate it. So, My pleasure, sir. So you have a, uh, you and your family have an extremely long storied history within tobacco. Would you mind kind of talking about that for a little while and just kind of going over your, your family history within the tobacco industry? The family comes from the province of Asturias in Spain. Uh, the youngest of several siblings of the family f- arrived in Havana. And the elders had a, a, a bakery. When the young ones arrived, the elders told them, listen, there's enough of us here. Somebody paid a debt in tobacco. You and your brother take that tobacco and go. <laughs> so my great-grandfather and my great-granduncle took off with the tobacco and started a company in 1867. Okay. I'm sorry, 1876. In 1902, they separated and formed two companies that became the largest exporters of Cuban tobacco from Cuba. Okay. And the reason of that was because dark cigarettes were uh, the thing back then. The Gitan, Galois, uh, and the Spanish cigarettes were all dark tobacco. And Dominican Republic and Cuba blended very well with, for the cigarette, uh, the dark cigarette uh, blends 
when we left Cuba, we had been doing business in Dominican Republic since 1939, precisely because the Dominicans were buying to sell the tobacco against ours from Cuba oh, okay. and increase the percentage of their participation in the blends. So in 1939, one of my granduncles went to the Dominican Republic and we started dealing in Dominican Republic. 1947, my father got assigned to go to Dominican Republic every year and buy tobacco. So in 54 and 55, we took the whole family to Santiago, and we spent two summers in Santiago when I was seven and eight years old. So people still are astounded when I tell them things of the 50s in Santiago. How do you know that while well, I was here? Yeah. Yeah. So we started, once we donated everything to the new government in Cuba in 1960, yeah. we moved to Dominican Republic and restarted the leaf broker business. In 1974, the family decided to open a cigar factory because in Miami, they were having problems with the cigar makers because they were getting of age and paying under the table and all kinds of things. In the States, that's not the way to do business. Yeah. The free zones had just opened in Dominican Republic, industrial free zone, not commercial. Yeah. So the family, in, in the family raffle, I, I got the winning ticket you go start a cigar factory in the free zone. Four bales of tobacco, $100 in an empty building, go for it. Oh, wow. And in June of 74, we opened our doors. Three cigar makers, a wooden table, a phone, and a, and a chair. That was a factory. <laughs> <laughs> and no power because we had no lights. So we would make the cigars by the window, so take advantage of the sunlight. Yeah. Uh, 1974, this is my 45th year making cigars. And my 60th as a cigar uh, tobacco person, because I started in Dominican at 13. Wow. Cuba, I didn't have a chance to do other than mischief in the warehouses. We would steal rubber bands and make all kinds of... <laughs> we were, the, you know, the children of one of the owners, so we just did whatever the heck we wanted. Yeah. Our building in Cuba had two basements, three floors, a roof, and a hotel, so we had a hell of a playground. I was going to say... Uh, while my father worked on Saturday mornings, my brother and I would run all over the place doing all kinds of childish things. Yeah. Uh, once we got to Dominican, uh, I went to high school in Miami Beach, St. Patrick's, graduated in 64, college in Santiago, working already in the warehouses. Uh, after that, after I graduated in 68, went to North Carolina State in Raleigh to get a master's in agriculture. Uh, six days prior final exams of my first semester at, in, at NC State, I got drafted. For Vietnam. Well, I got drafted into the Army. Into the Army, but <laughs> yeah. it was around that time. Yeah, that and uh, finally in uh, my orders came to go to Vietnam as infantry. Oh. So I landed in Nam in July, on July 5th of 1969. And what did you do in, in Vietnam? I was a member of the recon platoon of the 1st Battalion, 8th Infantry of the 4th Infantry Division in the Northern Highlands. Radio man. I started as a radio man. I ended up being the point man for the recon platoon. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Ten months in the front, and then I got taken back to the rear to take care of supplies for the battalion. And I ended my tour in the Army in Vietnam as as a supply staff sergeant. Went back to Dominican. Started the factory uh, yeah. in in '74. I went to Florida State and got my master's, 
not an agriculture because Florida State is not an agricultural school in yeah. business. But I had in-state tuition rather than North Carolina work. And ah, the GI Bill wasn't that generous back then. I see. $175 a month didn't go. It, it went far enough, but not that far. Not, not far enough for <laughs> not that. Not far yeah. enough to go to Raleigh. So I, I, I got my master's out of FSU, came back, and uh, taught a little bit at the university in Santiago. And while working uh, in, in the warehouses, opened the factory, and to today I've been in the factory. Wow. Wow. So, um, in a nutshell, that's a long 73 years to tell you about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in terms of the cigar industry, you've seen a lot of ups and downs and changes between 74 when you started your factory yes, in the Dominican yes, and then today, 45 years later, yeah. um, you've, you, you would have seen, I guess, what, the low points of the 80s, the extremely high points of the 90s. You know, kind of can can you talk about maybe some of the the best of times, worst of times, in and how you've kind of managed to get through all that? Amazingly enough, the best of times were before the boom, even because the industry was stable and growing ever so slightly. End of seventy nine eighty, there was a slight uptick in, con- in in consumption of cigar premium cigars in the U S. So nineteen eighty, the decade started with a little uptick. 81 was also a little uptick. So we kind of thought that we were moving up in the world. A progressive kind of increase. Yeah, uh, slow but progressive. And that gave you time to prepare everything without rushing, without... When the boom came in 92, everything just went haywire. It just went nuts. Uh, Shortages of tobacco, uh, packing materials, cigar makers, everything was in short supply and everybody competing for them and paying outrageous sums of money for whatever they could get their hands on. And it was very hectic. And we had to dedicate so much time to maintaining the factories going that we weren't able to generate new new products or in the field generate new varieties by splicing and so on. Mm-hmm. It was just get make make cigars and get them out of here. Yeah. 97 when the boom ended. 97 the boom ends 98 99 2000 2001 were tough years because we had overages of everything. We had been building inventory of tobacco, rump, uh, packing materials, teaching cigar makers in schools in the factories. So those three or four years after the boom were lean because we couldn't go back to the fields and grow normal amounts of tobacco because we had huge inventories. Yeah. So till 2002 or three, everything was kind of building up, getting rid of the maelstrom of the, of the boom and starting to go back to the farms and starting to go back to our warehouses and starting to develop new blends and starting to create new things. And from there on, uh, I think today is the best time for a cigar smoker to be a cigar smoker. My colleagues and competitors are doing extremely great product. There's a, a huge amount of great cigars in the market, and I am very proud and honored to be part of that group that is making the great cigars of today for the markets, both in the U.S. and in Europe. So tell us a little bit about your your umbrella of, of cigars, your brands and, and your your products. Well, we have three three major brands, Fonseca, which we've been we have been making for forty five years. We opened the factory with Fonseca. Uh, Casa Magna, which we make in Nicaragua, uh, with the Placencia family. 
and the cassata brand, which we make in Dominican Republic. Okay. Fonseca has five sub-brands, uh, the Fonseca Classic, the Vintage, the Limitado, the Exclusivo, and the Nicaragua. Uh, Casa Magna has three main sub-brands, the Colorado, which is the, state, the, the original, the D Magnus, which is an offshoot of the Colorado, and the Jalapa Claro, which is also an offshoot of the Colorado. But the three are different within the same uh, ballpark of being a, a Nicaraguan puro. Yeah. And then the Casada, of course, has different variations as well. It has the España, which we de debuted in Spain to go head-to-head -head with the Cubans. Uh, the 40th anniversary, which is a was a celebration of my 40 years of making cigars. The, the Reserva Privada, which in 1997 uh, was a beautiful crop. And I told, before my father passed away that year, uh, and my brother, I told him, listen, we have to put some of this tobacco away. Why? I said, don't ask why. Just put it away and hide it. Yeah. Don't ask me again about it. And I, I've been fighting since 97 to keep it there because my young ones went, we want to use that. I said, no, yeah. go somewhere else. But for the Reserva Privada, I said, well, my daughters and my young ones thought I, I was a dinosaur, too old, that wasn't in touch with the market. So I said, all right, let me make a blend and judge. So I took the 97 tobacco, blended it with a couple of other Cuban seeds from Dominican, and made the Reserva Privada. And we put it up against a couple of blends that they had made. And mine was one that everybody, everybody liked. So I said, wow, I guess dinosaurs can still play, huh? <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. The Weston Tobacco Festival, you guys are here obviously promoting your brand and, and I know you're circling around a little bit. You're going to be coming our way to the, the Hill Cigar Company, I believe, yes, sir. in, a, On in Friday. A, a week. Yeah, yes, or, sir. Yeah, next, next week. So um, your relationship with Corey, can you kind of just touch on that a little bit? Having studied in Miami Beach, which I consider the South, even though it's a little bit fancy for the South, Yeah, but I was sort of educated in Cuba first, then Miami, then North Carolina. I was, I served with a lot of people from the Midwest and the South, mostly. We were 18 people in our, in our platoon, 20 if we were full strength. Uh, and I would say that three quarters of them were from Louisiana, Nebraska, uh, Montana, uh, North Carolina, uh, either the Midwest or the South. And I just got along great with them. And I've always had a fondness for the Midwestern people. They're kind, they're gentle, they're affable, they're amicable, they're just great people. And Corey is a hell of an example of that Midwestern in the person. Yeah. Corey is just uh, hardworking, honest, uh, and he will tell you to your face how honest he is. <laughs> <laughs> And he will wear his hat no matter where he's at. So. Uh -huh. But Corey, uh, I love Corey. He, he, he's a great person. And, of course, Zeb has done a great job here with the, the shop. And we have been supporting the festival since they started. And then um, I know I'm kind of jumping around, so I apologize Please, for no, that. No, so no. Um, things are kind of coming to me as we go here. So, But um, one of the, there, there's a lot of challenges facing the cigar industry, specifically government regulation yes. and things of that nature. Indeed. You know, what do you kind of feel like the next 
five years could very well bring to the industry. I was asked that question yesterday in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, a young man who was doing a, a school project uh, of the economy of Dominican Republic because his parents deal with Dominican Republic. Uh, Jessica, uh, I mean, Jess and Christian Hudson, uh, just for him. Yeah. So his son, their son Braden was doing this work. And he asked me that same question. I said, listen, as long as human beings are searching for pleasure, cigars are going to be a part of that search. Yeah. Because cigars are a great match with food, with uh, uh, beverages that Spirits. we consume, yeah. coffees, uh, people. And it's a social product. It brings people together. So as long as people are looking for pleasure in the world, cigars are going to be a part of that search. So I think that cigars are safe. We are facing, and I am more, more afraid of prohibition than I am of taxation. Taxation, I don't approve of it, but we will always find the next quarter to buy a cigar. Yeah. But if we find a quarter and buy the cigar and don't find a place to smoke it, it's pointless. So prohibition to me is worse, a lot worse. And I feel that we have moved the pendulum all the way to the other side and have done draconian measures. Because if people enjoy smoking, there should be places where you know there will be smoke. Yeah. And then you don't go there Yeah. if you don't smoke. And if I smoke, I don't go to the places where I can't smoke. Precisely. How difficult is that? Personal choice. How difficult is yeah. that to just set up that way? And Europe has done a lot of that that we haven't. Hmm. They have done a, a lot of prohibition as well, but they have made a point to let you choose if you want to be a smoking establishment or not. Hmm. Well, we come from Illinois, and, I mean, just some of the rules and regulations there in Illinois regarding that are just, as you said, draconian. I mean, you know... It, it, in terms of if you wanted to even open uh, a shop and have a lounge, I mean, the rules and regulations regarding that are just so oppressive that there's no way a business can actually make money and follow the law in terms of being able to allow for smoking indoors. Within the, the, the boundaries of all the harm, I have to admit and accept and be grateful that at least they grandfathered a lot of states grandfathered certain enterprises that were already in business. And that's true. So we have to be grateful for that. But we are un- ungrateful for them not allowing new venues to be opened that are of that choice. Yes. And then finally, within the cigar industry, obviously I know you are a huge fan of your own brand and everything like that. Is there anything else that maybe that you've encountered um, other brands, other things that maybe you have kind of hit you and said, you know, that that's really good. And I told Hanky Kellner of Davidoff, uh, and I was asked this question previously, and yeah. I admitted it. Uh, Hanky Davidoff make, makes a, a cigar that I would smoke if I could afford it. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I wasn't a that, manufacturer. <laughs> that's a valid point. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're. Uh, Double R Robusto, I would smoke. Okay. And today, I even told them the Churchill, I would smoke the Churchill, too. Uh, the uh, the, the Churchill from Davidoff. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Those two, I would smoke from other companies. Davidoff, if I could afford them. Yeah. And Lito, also my dear friend, 
makes a lovely small Corona in Cameroon wrapper that I will also smoke. And that one I could afford, probably. There you go. There yeah. you go. Now, under your line, do you have a... Do you have a favorite? I know I'm asking you kind of to pick a child here, but... Yeah, yeah, they're know, all my children. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I do have go-tos. Yeah. But I, we have to remember that palettes are, not, are not static. That's definitely true. Palettes are dynamic. Yeah. And they're always changing. Uh, so sometimes a go-to will take a, a second place to a, a new go-to. Yeah. Because things have changed and they will rotate. So my go-to, I have a map. Okay. A sweet spot and then peripheral within the map that cater to special occasions. If it's a football game or a, a whiskey night or a, a, a poker game, a cigar that I move around. But when I sit down with a drink, my music, my computer, and a cigar, I have that sweet spot where certain cigars do fall in. So right now, given your palate as it is at this moment, what's your sweet spot? Uh, the 1974, which is a new, a new blend that came out now for the IPCPR. Well, we debuted it at the Pro Cigar Festival, started selling in, in Europe, and came to the U.S. at the IPCPR. The okay. 1974 is one of my today go-tos. Okay. Uh, my, my 70, when I turned 70, I made me a cigar. Yeah, I saw that in the, the humidor yeah, here. Yeah, because I have yeah. people so I can make me a cigar. So <laughs> I, I made me a cigar. Uh, to, to my taste, and that's still one of my go-tos. Uh, Oktoberfest every year, when it's August to November, it's a seasonal cigar, so when that period comes around, I pick a couple of Oktoberfests as well. You know, I saw those in there as well, so real quick, what is the uh, um, what is the difference of the Oktoberfest within some of the other cigars? Well, the, the Oktoberfest in 2011, our first release, was blended to marry with the Oktoberfest beers, the Marzen-style beers. So we drank a lot of beer, by the okay. way. We, we had a lot <laughs> we of had fun. research. We had a lot of fun <laughs> researching. Uh, but we blended it to marry and, and complement and be a companion to the, the beers of Oktoberfest. Okay. Uh, every year, the blend changes a little bit. Maybe the wrapper is a new wrapper, or some of the fillers are tweaked a little bit. This year's uh, launch, the 2019, is evoking the 2011, which was the very first Oktoberfest, and that was a, a great cigar. So the 2019 reminds you of the 2011. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, Mr. Casada, thank you very uh, please, much for Manuel. your time. Manuel. Manuel. More than enough. Thank you very much for your time. I truly it, appreciate it. It has it. been it my pleasure. pleasure. Thank All you. Right. And I hope to see you Friday at the Hill. I will definitely make it a point to swing on by, at least for a little bit. And if you want to chat a little more, Jessica will join us, and that would be a hell of a Jessica's great, a, a isn't trio. she? Yeah, yeah. No, she. That is our home, that is our home cigar lounge. Um, like I said, we're over on the Illinois side, yeah. and um, we don't really have. There's like one place locally. Which one? In, in, the Tinderbox. It's in Fairview Heights, Illinois. You ever and, been to um, the Up Down Shop? No. Where's oh, that at? Up Down in Chicago. I, I don't know. The oh, address. yeah. No, no, no. Um, uh, we're about six hours south of oh, Chicago, no, that's so I don't, way. I don't make it up there too terribly. No, uh, I thought but, you were in the city. Uh, no, okay. no, no, no. We're we're about ten minutes out of St. or fifteen minutes out of St. Louis to the east of St. Oh, Louis. Oh God, there. you're almost a Missourian. Precisely. <laughs> I wish we were, but um, but. Um, 
no. So we just hop the river and we go over and visit Jess over at the hill. And uh, okay. I mean, well, yeah, that's a lot easier. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. best lounge we found around over there. I mean, oh, you yeah. know, it, it depends on what you're into. I mean, there's the the Stanley downtown, which is a little bit more, I don't know, upscale, upscale, uh, frou frou uh, kind of you know thing and everything. Um, you know, hoi folloi, but. But the the folks at the hill between Jess and the other the other patrons and whatnot they well and Tim was a great guy I, too oh yeah I mean and they do and his wife Deb they're, they're, they're great people they're fantastic yeah. people and then just in terms of the shop itself they just do a magnificent job stocking the humidor oh, yeah. treating everybody so politely and and welcoming and everything so. Yeah, we can't we can't beat the hill. It's the hill. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and there's all that great Italian food like right around there. Indeed. So, yeah. But well, sir, thank you very much. I really it, do it, appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Nick, what an outstanding interview. Oh, thank you. You know, you covered a lot of bases in this thing. Now, it helps that he gave extraordinarily great answers. <laughs> and I mean, the guy should be on radio. What a voice. I'm telling you. Yeah. I'm telling you. So, a couple of things that, that I noted with this. One, you know, again, thank you uh, to Mr. Casada for his service to our country. Yes. We really do appreciate yes. that. Number two, one of the things towards the end of the interview, you talked about um, some other cigar stores and whatnot, and you talked about the Hill. And, of course, we're in an event out, uh, you know, at the Weston Tobacco Company. Um, but one of the neat things about that event is there were several patrons and even even Jess, an employee from the Hill Cigar Company in St. Louis, that made the trek out to Weston for Corey for this event. Oh, yeah. No, we bumped into Jess pretty early on when we got there. And um, it was really nice to see her. I know that I had mentioned to her that we were going out there. And she uh, she didn't quite indicate to me that she was going to be there. And then all of a sudden, boom, there she was with her husband. And it was really nice to yeah, see her. Yeah, her and her husband were there. Yeah. Tron, one of the patrons from the Hill that we know was there. He was there. Um, it, it was really neat to see, you know, some people from the Hill Cigar Company supporting the Weston Cigar Company. Yeah, yeah. And I was really impressed by that. And that's one thing that, you know, we've touched on with the cigar industry. And it's, again, you know, it's something we experienced later that night that we're going to talk about here. But there's a camaraderie even even among the manufacturers. It's it's a it's a community. It truly is a community. I'm gonna say so. this real quick. This cigar, yeah, is outstanding. I, I can't say enough good things about the 1974. I've I'm obviously def- I've never smoked it before. It's only been on the market for two to three months. No, I'm definitely enjoying uh, mine as well. I'm getting a lot more spice out of it as mm-hmm. as it progresses. But it's it's a great cigar. Yeah, of, the flavor the flavor po- profile has changed on this 1974, but every stage of the cigar that I've hit so far, um, you know, we we actually sat and listened to the interview as it was playing um, for the podcast. So because I hadn't heard it, I was actually doing your producer work at the Weston Cigar Festival and going around and lining up other interviews and whatnot, racking which, and stacking them. Exactly, baby. I I had I had interviews stacked up like cordwood for you, and. We're going to be playing those over the next couple of podcasts here because we actually got to talk to um, a, a lady, a very nice lady that owns a cigar company, a manufacturing company in... Alohio. Uh, it was Alohio uh, Cigars. Yes. And we got to speak with her and along with Oscar, who we've actually interviewed before, but on our YouTube, yeah. um, we, you know, we did a, a nice video interview with him. 
And we got a little bit of chance to kind of sit down and do a little longer form interview with him this time, kind of yeah. really dive in a little bit more. Because the last time, you know, he was having an event at the Hill. It was pretty early in his event, and we didn't want to monopolize too much of his time. So we just kind of went in and just, you know, quick little interview and everything like that. But it, no, this- Mr. Casada, Oscar, the different people, they could not be more gracious to sit down and talk to us. And, I mean, it's again, it's a testament well, to them. And I'll say this about Mr. Casada. Uh, Manuel, as he uh, asked me. You got to rub that in, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) So one thing Manuel pointed out uh, a couple of different times that that I picked up on is that he's obviously very high on his own brand. And he should be. Why wouldn't he be? Exactly. He he should be. And he should be. With the cigar that I'm smoking right now, he ought to be. He should be. But one thing that did stand out to me is how he definitely has a mindset of a rising tide lifts all ships. And what I mean by that is at least a couple of different times in that interview, you heard him mention, you know, how there's so many great cigars out there these days and how this is the best time there is to be a cigar smoker because there's such a gluttony of of, uh, wonderful products in the market. That that comment stuck with me, by the way, because he's absolutely right. He he was indirectly or I mean, he was directly shoveling praise on his uh, cohorts in the cigar industry, and I thought that was very wonderful to hear to hear a manufacturer do he's that. Literally, of the manufacturers you've asked the question about other people's cigars, he's the first one to answer. He it. is the first one to he actually is. answer um, with with a with an answer of somebody else's cigars. That and he, and you know, smokes. I actually understand someone that says, "No, I'm smoking mine. I'm making the best product." Yeah. No, that, that's I, out there, and, I, and by God, it's what I'm going to Again, smoke. because I would expect them to say, I have the best product, because, you know, nobody's going to come out and say, yeah, I've got a great cigar, but his is a lot better. Exactly. But I love my cigar. Nobody's going to say that, and I don't expect them to say that, but my whole theory behind asking that question is... You know, there's a lot going on all around in in these different companies. There's different blends happening. No one person has all the ideas. And so it's one of those things where a Manuel Casada, uh, Oscar Valderas, uh, Nick Perdomo, um, a Christian Aroa, any one of these guys, yeah, you know what? They have fantastic ideas for cigars, and they're putting out some really quality products. But at the same time, you know, maybe Manuel didn't consider blending these two tobaccos that maybe Christian Aroa did. Or, you know, or maybe Nick Perdomo is coming up with a blend that, you know, Oscar hadn't considered. And so it's one of those things where I understand maybe not publicly saying, you know, oh, yeah, I, I enjoy these other cigars, too. But I would hope that maybe they're taking time to just try other people's stuff. Well, and not, even if not they're with, not, they may have staff that not with are. The, well, and not with the intention of ripping somebody off. That's the other thing. I don't I don't think any one of these guys would try another cigar and say, holy cow, I love that blend. I'm going to rip that off. But just to see what else is out there. I don't but you know, it. even with us in the newspaper industry, there's no there's no new idea. You just take an idea and you run with it. Or and you, you figure out how to tw- uh, tweak it for yourself. Exactly. You and I, every time we go to a city, um, we make it a point of trying to find all the free, either weekly or uh, all-weekly or, or daily papers and everything like that, just to check out you know, maybe some things that other people are doing. There's a paper in my dad's town. 
of Fishers, Indiana, that what they do with their city council is they have a little just infographic saying what they did, how this impacts you. And it's literally a one-sentence bullet point of what the council did and a one-sentence bullet point of how that impacts you. And I've been wanting to rip that off for the better part of five years with my paper, and I just I haven't, I haven't gotten around to it, but uh, I think it's a great idea. I have a whole box of clippings in my office of things from papers that I've seen that I'm like, I really like that, and I need to figure out a way to, to incorporate that into my product. And I don't think that that's necessarily ripping it off. I think it's looking at ideas and saying, hey, I like the way that's presented, how can I tailor that to my product and make it unique? Exactly. And, and so, I so I I will say I do applaud him for at least publicly admitting that you know there are some cigars that are not his own that he would be more than happy to smoke. I I thought that was very gracious of him. It was. Now, so after you got done with the interview with uh, Mr. Casada, and also the other interviews that we did, yeah. It was a we solid moseyed, amount of interviews. We moseyed our way back upstairs, back up to the cigar festival. The band's playing. You yeah, know, we're getting ready to wrap up. About six o'clock, all the cigar manufacturers started packing up, and uh, but the event lasted until eight, so the band was going and everything like that. Great band. It was a good band. I took and a picture of them for our socials. I I don't know if I sent that to you or not uh, yet. I don't know. So anyway, we uh, we went up there, hung out for a little bit. And it was kind of wrapping up. By the way, I want to point out, in the first part of our uh, our podcast that came out earlier this week, yes, we mentioned that, you know, it was like a granary shed or, you know, some, some kind of grain mill or whatever. Yeah. It's actually a tobacco barn. Yeah, we found that out yeah. after we recorded that. So yeah. it is and an I did not realize, barn. but apparently the Western area was known for growing tobacco. A lot of it was cigarette tobacco, but yeah, yeah exactly. So, so it was a, the event was actually held in a in tobacco, a tobacco farm. Yeah, uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So no, so we went upstairs, we hung out, we had some some you know drinks, had a cigar, and just kind of enjoyed the rest of the evening. And so we're just kind of hanging out, you know, enjoying the evening, having some drinks and some cigars, and just you know. And hanging then out. the night took a turn. Well, the night started to wind down, and by this point, it was Corey and a couple of his folks. Uh, standing around, uh, Oscar and uh, his assistant and um, Manuel, Manuel and, and his assistant, yeah, and his assistant and Jess from the Hill and her husband Tron, and then you and I, and somehow or another, and I have a sneaking suspicion we have Jess to thank for. We this. do have Jess to thank for this. Um, you and I got an invite back to Corey's house for the after party. Yes. Which, full disclosure, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I looked at you, and I said, man, I really want to go, but I am exhausted. Oh, we were crashing. We were dying on the vine. But we rallied. Because, dude, I was up by, what, 4.30 in the morning that day. I, I, I picked you up, and... You know, we drove all that way out there and everything, and we we didn't even go to the hotel yet. I no. mean, we haven't even checked in the we, hotel. When, and when we got there, we basically ate and started working. And we barely even ate because, you know, by the time we got there, the lunch portion was pretty oh my much God, over with. Oh, God, the food was so good, though. It was good, but um, we kind of got to the tail end of the food, so we kind of snarfed real quick and got in on it. And so, you know, we're standing there, and we're like, do we 
do we do this? And for for me, there really wasn't a question. It was more of a question: How long am I going to stay? Yeah. But um, but it was. I'm so glad we did. So, folks, I can't. This is one of those moments that, for me, and I'm sure Nick will agree with me, it was very surreal. Oh yeah, we're so, sitting around a table uh, in Corey's backyard with Oscar and Manuel, and we're smoking cigars and drinking bourbon, and just and Corey's son. Uh, and we're just hanging out, having a good time, throwing the the glow-in-the-dark ball for the dog to go play fetch Love with. Love that dog. And, I mean, we're just having just a hell of a time, just sitting around, drinking and smoking and just talking life, telling stupid jokes. That's when you told them the whale joke, by it the way. It was. And what did Manuel tell you? He said it was the second worst joke he's ever heard. And then Tron told a joke, and he looked at you and said, yours is now the third worst joke I've ever heard, <laughs> which I thought was great. But, um, but anyway, it was, I cannot put into words how much fun we had that night. Yes. Um, It was, like I said, it was very surreal. It was one of those moments um, for somebody that's really into cigars. And, you know, let's be honest, we're, we're, it's a, it's a small subculture of cigar smokers, but for me, it was one of those moments I'll never forget. Oh yeah. You know, within the world of cigars, I mean, admittedly, (laughs) you got to look at it through the prism of what we're talking about here. You know, it's like, are we talking about Hollywood stars, rock and roll stars, you know, pre- former presidents, whatever? I mean, you know, there's levels of fame, but at the same time within the cigar industry, you know, we're sitting with two pretty prominent guys just hanging out and just talking about all kinds of stupid and, stuff. And learning from them. Yeah, it was amazing. I, I will tell you this. I was more, I would be more interested in the conversation and the company we had that <laughs> night than I would any sports star. I, other, other, I, no, I, back, other than Kurt Warner. I would love to have okay. a conversation with Kurt Warner. Okay. And Kurt, if you smoke cigars and you want to come on the podcast, I'd love that. <laughs> but uh, other than out. Kurt Warner, I can't think of anyone I would have rather sat down with and talked to. I had an amazing time that night. Yeah. And, I mean, by the end we of We had it, a horseshoe up our butt. That's all I've got to say. Yeah. We are the luckiest we really guys are. on the planet. That was easily one of the coolest events I, I could have. That, that, that night took a turn that... When we went out to that festival, I did not anticipate the night that night going that way. No. I fully anticipated before it was all said and done, you and I were going to end up at the Fairfield Inn, sitting outside by the fire pit, the two of us talking about the festival. I had no idea that we were going to end up sitting around a table in Corey's backyard talking cigars with, you know, Manuel two of the Two of the big hitters in the industry. Right. So, and... Now, I'll tell you the aspect of the conversation that I would love to know. Go ahead. I don't speak Spanish. I would have paid good money to know what Manuel and Oscar were talking about at various points during that. Well, I'm sure it was us. We're picking on us. Let's be honest. Like, why are we sitting around this table with these three jack-offs, you know? But, um, and then Corey's son. But, um, not including Corey's son in that. But, um. Corey's son was pretty cool. Corey's son was a good He'd gotten up that morning at like 4 a.m. and started helping cook food. That kid is a trooper. He put in a lot of hard work that day. And he was hanging out, smoking, drinking, and having a good time with us at the end of the day. Uh, holding his own. And I give, it, it was awesome. It was a great, great night. It really was. And so, 
you know, and, and you know, we the the one part we have to thank Jess for weaseling us into this invite. It was essentially, yeah, I think that it exactly was essentially it. like wedding crashers when the girl jumps up and down and holds her breath. I I, I have a this vision of just doing that, <laughs> demanding that we get to go back to the island and play touch football. I know it was great. It really was great. <laughs> but we also have to thank Corey. For giving us the invite to the event. Yes. We'd have never known about that event if he hadn't no, told if us. if Corey hadn't mentioned this at the Kansas City Cigar Fest, we would have never known about this, and we would not have had the spectacular time that we did. And I know after talking with Corey, it is, uh, we are going back out there again next year. Absolutely. And I would heavily encourage anybody who is within even even a good drive's distance a day from trip, West yeah. Missouri, get to this festival. It is... The most casual, fun time that you'll have with 450, 500 people that you can imagine. And Absolutely. Everybody is just super chill, having an awesome time, and I couldn't have imagined this going any better. Absolutely. Well, Nick, I normally say it's a valiant effort, but your interview was <laughs> spectacular. And I mean, Mr. Casada could not have been more gracious in the interview, and we really do thank him. Um, I will tell you that the 1974 has become one of my new favorite sticks tonight. If it's not at the top, it's it's it might be at the top. This is a good cigar. Well, good. How how was yours? Mine was fantastic. Mine was, like I said, it was a good solid smoke all the way through. It did get a little bit of spice at the end, and it was a fantastic cigar. Seriously, if you haven't had the Casada 40th anniversary, I would highly recommend it. It, it was a it was a great. It's a full full bodied cigar. I mean, it's it's not fooling around. This is different than what we normally do. These two sticks could not have been more farther apart, but they were both what we like. It's it's a real earthy and like I said, it got spicy, you know, in the back half and everything, but it was a very great cigar that I would highly recommend to anybody. Absolutely. So. And the same again for me with the uh, 1974. And I will be seeing um, Mr. Casada again this evening. The The podcast so, comes out on yeah, Friday. I would say this podcast is coming out on Friday, um, October the 4th. And he will be doing 2019. 2000, Let's throw that out. I was going to say 2019 in case somebody's binge listening. But we, uh, that, that this evening, um, Manuel will be doing an event at the Hill Cigar Company. And he was insistent multiple times, not just in that interview, but multiple times throughout the evening that I swing back by and say hi. So it, I, there's no way. I will not be able to because I'm going to be actually up at the National Newspaper Convention, uh, the National Newspaper Association Convention up in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he really didn't seem to mind that I wasn't going to be there. <laughs> Well, you know. I'm joking. He could not have been nicer to the two of us. Yeah. He really so. couldn't have been. But, yeah, uh, Nick, I think Nick bonded with uh, so I will be Mr. Casada. definitely swinging by to say hi and uh, enjoying that event for a little while. And then the next day, so Saturday, October 5th, I will be traveling to Kentucky for the Drew Estates Kentucky Barn Smoke. I'm jealous. That, I think, is going to be a fun time. Yeah, I'm jealous of that. I really am. But, you know, I'm going to have fun up in Milwaukee. I uh, look for, um, you know, I'm looking for a cigar lounge in Milwaukee that I can go to and maybe do a quick interview with the owners and whatnot for the podcast later down the road. Be fun. Um, Because we've got a few racked and stacked now, so we've got a couple, you know. Well, we we have interviews. Yeah, we have interviews. We still have to bookend them. Exactly. So. 
But that being said, if you are out in the audience and you are from the Milwaukee area and you have a recommendation for me, um, please send us an email. How do they get a hold of us there, Nick? Yeah, you can contact. Well, you should be following the Cigar Pulpit on Instagram. Amen. It's at the Cigar Pulpit. And you can email us at nick at cigarpulpit.com. Also follow us on YouTube. We throw up uh, videos every once in a while and uh, with the intention of more. And also, if you haven't subscribed to this show, but maybe you're just checking it out for the first time, maybe somebody recommended it, or maybe you just periodically swing back by every once in a while and check out an episode, go ahead and subscribe to the show. Leave us a review, preferably five stars. That makes my, my ego feel good. Exactly. And uh, Yeah. And why and, wouldn't you? And tell a friend. This is quality cigar entertainment right it here. It is, truly. <laughs> so, Well, Nick... Great show, buddy. All right. Well, with that, this has been another sermon from the Cigar Pulpit. I'm the Bishop of the Burn, Nick, and I'm Gator. Have a good evening and stay smoky, everyone. <laughs>